Our young, our young adults are encouraging in this house. I love them. I love them. Oh, man. Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Craig. Again, I get the, really the honor and the privilege of being able to share with you this morning. Uh, it's very humbling to stand up here and, and be allowed to sort of have you guys for the next two or three hours, you know. <laughs> our pastor, our lead pastor is, is right now on the road uh, leaving his, his wife and family. He's going to drive to New Mexico, right? They're going to drive all the way there? He's going to go have a little time of get away with a, another pastor from a sister church of ours in um, Walla Walla Life Church. So they were going to have a great time, and he, he had to hit the road, so you get the, the sixth string, this, this service, sixth string. That's a joke based on last week. Uh, Connor said you get the fifth string. and I was thinking about it. I said, I'm going to call myself the sixth string because, you know, when I was in high school, I, I rode the bench on the basketball team. I was, I was the guy at the end of the line. I was the sixth string or the 13th string or one or two. But I said, Connor, you know, this is what I know about the sixth string guy. When he gets in the game, he got nothing to lose. He like, I got to prove coach in this 30 seconds I have, so I'm going for it. Uh, so, anyway, you have me. I'm excited. I'm always excited to preach. Um, we're going to jump into it in a second, but uh, a few quick announcements. Some clipboards are going to go around in front of you here in a moment, and um, it, it says doctrine class sign up on there, and if you don't know what that means, that, that word might sort of scare you, like doctrine, oh, that must be for the theological types or the, you know, the academics, but uh, really doctrine just means teachings. And I'll tell you what, I, I grew up, as pretty much everybody in America does, going to school. And, and a lot of those classes, I personally didn't really care a, a lot about. I didn't really connect. But when I went to college, I got to start studying about God and studying theology and studying doctrine. And, and it just totally enriched me and blessed my soul. And uh, Clark and Glory teach this class, and they are awesome. Um, the Lord wouldn't, just would not let them go, wouldn't let him go. Uh, he said, he's, you got more doctrine to teach, so I'm not going to let this cancer win. And uh, I think that they're back. They're, they're ready to get out of the gate too, right? So um, it's, it's not scary. It's, it's an awesome class. It happens on Sunday night. It starts the 13th, right? Right after baptism. So would you consider taking that course? And uh, the second announcement I have is this. We've been praying as a church, and, and we just wanted you to know that all of the permits uh, are in for the new building. So, that's, that is something to be excited about. I know uh, Roger has just been like ready to get moving and get started, so we're going we're gonna to work quickly and try and get that project done by the end of the year. So, hey, why don't you uh, open your Bibles? Hopefully everybody your, brought your Bible or your phone or something. You know, it is going to be on the screen behind me, but... Uh, I just think it's so important to just have something in front of you, something you get to know, maybe start learning where the, the books are in your Bible. Just turn to Genesis chapter 4. It's the first book in the Bible. It should be pretty easy for you to find. And we're pretty much going to hang out in Genesis 4. I would encourage you just to underline things or take notes as the Lord speaks to you. If you're anything like me, it's easy to just sort of forget. Maybe God says something to you and then you go home. Oh, that's a really cool thought. And then tomorrow, it's, oh, what did he say? And so... Hey, not like anything that I say is important, but I believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe that there's a message uh, and that there's going to be some deliverance through this message today. And if you're taking notes, you can write down this title. You can be able to. 
That's the title of the message. You can be able to. Um, spelling is not one of my strong suits at all, but I assure you that that title is spelled correctly. You can be able to. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. I think we're pretty much just going to go right about eight verses. So if you would read along with me, this is what it says, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, now Adam knew his wife. You know what that means, right? Okay. We good. We good. It's the Bible. I just say this. The Bible is not boring, folks. The Bible's good. Adam knew his wife. They hung out. They did what married people do. And she conceived and born, bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's what the name Cain means, is gotten, received. I remember when Jess and I got married, we were on the five-year plan. We're like, hey, we're going to save up a bunch of money, and we're going to travel, and we're going to go everywhere and, and buy a house, and we're going to do all this stuff before we have kids. Anybody else ever done that? We're on like the five-year plan. We got pregnant after two months. I <laughs> uh, kid you not, man. We were like... She's going into nursing school. We're on the five-year plan. We had, like, no money. We didn't even travel. And, and we, were, we were upset. Uh, I'm, I'll just be honest with you. That's not a good thing. We were upset. And then we were depressed that we felt upset because you should be happy when you're pregnant. And, and we were, it was a hard time in our life. But I think back, and if you know my kids, they're, the, they're awesome. I don't, man, would I trade JC for anything in the world? Would we trade JC? No way. I just love my kids, uh, just like most parents, all parents hopefully do. Uh, you wouldn't trade them for anything. Even when we didn't want what God was giving us, God was giving us something. God was giving us a blessing. We had received it from the Lord. We didn't see it at the moment, but we had gotten it from God, and it was good, and all things that God gives are good. And that's what happened right here. You know, uh, they had received from God, and so they named him Cain. Verse 2, again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain was the worker of the ground. Verse 3, in the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain's offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. as the Bible's way of saying uh, he got very depressed. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why are you throwing a fit? If you do well, will you not be accepted? With the presumed answer of, yes, you will be. And if you do not do well, heed this warning. Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and they went in the field, and Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Killed him. That escalated quickly, didn't it? Hey, let's pray because we need God to speak to us today. I need God to speak through me, and uh, I'm going to trust and, and hope that you trust and believe with me that he's going to speak to you, word to your heart. Amen? Yes. God, I just want to commit myself to you, 
commit this scripture to you, commit this, uh, this time to you. I commit every person in this room to you right now. And we ask, and, you know, even, I even enter to you boldly because your Bible says we can enter boldly into your courts. And I know that you choose to speak through men and women, no matter how qualified or unqualified they might seem. And so we believe that you're going to speak to each one of us today. In Jesus' name, have your way in this place. And everybody said, amen. Hey, is anybody else in the house uh, competitive like me? A few people. I, I'm competitive. I think it's just something about uh, how God made me. Uh, it doesn't matter really what I'm doing. I am so just want to win. You know, like th- those, those teams that you join and like when you're a kid, it's like, hey, guys, you know, it's not all about the wins and the losses. We're just trying to have fun. You know, hey, I have fun when I win. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Anybody in the house? I am sorry. I, I have fun when I win. I'm competitive. I just, I, I get after it. No matter what I'm playing, no matter what I'm doing, I go for it every year. And my wife would say, when are you going to quit this? You know, you are old now. You got gray hairs coming in. Every year I play in Hoop Fest. And if you don't know about Hoop Fest, it's like when you get to be my age, it's this place where everybody who's washed up goes to try and prove themselves for one weekend a year. <laughs> and like, you leave, you're on Monday, you're just like, oh, yeah, good thing I have Mondays off, you know. It's just horrible. But I'm, I, I go to Hoop Fest, and it's like the NBA Finals. It's just I'm going for it every game. Uh, every year at our church, this is one of my favorite things at our church, is we have this really important, prestigious event. It's this volleyball tournament. It's called the Church Barbecue. You know what I'm talking about? Are there any Barnhards or Hansons in the house today? All right, good. Those punks, man, they win it every year. I try and win this volleyball tournament every year, and I try and stack my team. I got Nate on my team. And, you know, I'm like, okay, surely the 6'10 guy will do it for me. That didn't work. And so, <laughs> sorry, Nate. But I just always go for it, you know, and, and I never won. I've never even played in the finals. It depresses me. You know what happens? Every year there's that one punk that shows up. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's that person that just seems to have it out for me. They start talking trash, and, and, and you're not supposed to go under the net in volleyball, and, you know, they, they hit me or bump me or something under the net, and it's like, I just, this nature of me just get sort of worked up, and it, I just get going sometimes, and, you know, it's almost like every year, it just almost comes to blows, like I'm just about ready to, to throw down with this person, and Pastor J.O.'s coming over, whoa, 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 you know, what are you doing? You're a pastor, and it, inevitably, I'm like, J.O., it's not my fault. She started it, you know? <laughs> These volleyball girls, they're intense. I'm just joking about that didn't really happen. I don't fight people at the church. I am competitive, though. I would fight somebody. Tori. (laughs) Oh, man. In all seriousness, though, when I was thinking about how competitive I am, I had this revelation. Uh, what usually happens inside of me is uh, whether it's basketball or, or any sport that I would play, or, or even academics, or even just to be honest, uh, occasionally at times, like my my trade. You might you might resonate with this in your trade or your profession, or you know how much money you make at your job or how much success you have at your job. Uh, even in the church, we struggle, you know what I'm saying? It, we're still flesh and blood, even pastors, and, and we struggle at times. And I, I think about whether it's my profession of preaching or, or pastoring or, or academics or sports or whatever, 
I realized about myself that when I'm, when I'm overly competitive and when I found myself uh, comparing against other people, I realized that when, I, when it makes me feel good about a certain situation, how good I do, it, it oftentimes has to do with how I feel I'm doing compared to somebody else instead of how I feel I'm doing just in general. Does that make sense? I don't know if you resonate with that thought at all, but it seems to be that whatever situation I'm in, say it's on the soccer field, I feel good about myself if I'm doing better than the other people that happen to be on the soccer field at the same time. And it's not like I usually think to myself or I'm competitive, my drive for competition is because I just want to be the best soccer player that I can be. Typically, I find myself just comparing against the other people. I was, I was talking with my friend Joey. He gave me permission to share this story. Um, I, I, it was just a few weeks ago. It's actually, I, I shared this message with young adults, and I felt compelled to share it again with you guys. But it was like the same day I was going to preach this message, I think God brought up this conversation to us. He, Joey's training to enter into a Spartan race. Anybody know what a Spartan race is? It's crazy. How far are you going to run, Joey? 13 miles. But it's not just like 13 miles, you know what I'm saying? It's 13 miles through wilderness and like mountains and trenches. And then throughout the 13 miles, they have all these obstacles like climb up this rope or, or literally climb under this barbed wire and like all these crazy things. And it's an intense race. So Joey told me that his goal, he said, my goal is to, to be on the podium. So that means if you, if you know anything about racing, that means first, second, or third, uh, bronze, silver, and gold get to stand on the podium, right? And so I, had, I just had this thought. I said, Joey, what's a good time in that race? He said, well, most people race it in three to five hours. And I said, okay, let's just assume that you just absolutely killed it, and you raced it in three hours and 23 minutes. Let's just say that you did that. And in, on any normal, normal race, random Spartan race that you went to, three hours and 23 minutes would put you on the podium. How good would you feel? Yeah, I feel pretty good. That's my goal. I said this, okay. How about imagine this? I just want to know what's going on in your heart. Imagine that on this particular race, for whatever reason, they played a a trick on you, they fooled you, and it was you and a hundred other professional Spartan race runners that showed up that day. And you raced with the same exact time, three hours and 23 minutes, same time that you got in the other race where you're on the podium, Same exact time, but in this particular race, because you're racing against professionals, you actually took 101st place. Would you feel inside the same in the second race as you did in the first race? And I think we both sat there for a little while thinking about that because it brought to light this notion that it doesn't just have to do with how good we did It has to do with how good we did in comparison to everybody else. Isn't that kind of the point of the podium? And so I want to ask you this question today. When you think of your life, and and most people, you know, sports don't really matter to us anymore. It's not like we're professional athletes or anything like that. But the, the things that you do in life, your jobs, your family, even your faith, Do you ever find yourself comparing against other people? You ever find uh, even your value inside, like how good or bad you feel that you are, 
Or to even take the faith, for example. Do you ever find yourself comparing yourself against those around you in church or those around you morally? Do you find yourself comparing against the world and, oh, the, the world is so evil? If you ever go to street evangelism, you'll find that people do this. They say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, and what they're thinking is, I mean, compared to Hitler, you know, I'm not a murderer. And compared to, compared to the rapists out there, compared to all these people, I'm not that bad. And we do this, don't we? There's a, there was these two guys. There was these two gangsters uh, lived in a particular city. And these, these weren't like your average North Idaho gangsters, you know, just kind of like fake it. Like, hey, I tatted up something with my spray paint, you know. I mean, I'm talking about like real thugs. We'll call them the Bertoli brothers. There was these two brothers. I mean, they were hardcore. They were vicious. They were deadly. They were thieves and they were thugs. They were the most notorious people in town and everybody knew it. They were the guys you paid in order to keep your business safe. I mean, these guys were hated by all and yet honored by all because they had to. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're talking about gangsters and thugs. And one day, the older brother passed away and died. And so the younger brother went to the local pastor and he said, Hey, pastor, you're going to do, do my brother's funeral. And you know what? You can say whatever you want to say, sell your pastor stuff. There's only one requirement I have for you. You need to refer to him as a saint at least once in the ceremony. And the pastor thought for a second. You know, and pastors don't operate out of fear ever. We don't let anybody push us around, so. <laughs> he thought and he said, you know what, I can do that for you, young Bertoli. I can do that. So the day came and the funeral, and they had the casket, you know, open casket, and everybody was there. All the thugs, all the gangsters, everybody else in town was there because they had to be to show honor, you know what I'm saying? Like the place was full. The ceremony started and the pastor got up there. And he said, we're here today gathered to acknowledge the death of this man. And everybody in this room knows that this man was a rotter. He was a thug to the core. This was a bad man, a horrible man, and you all know it. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. It proves this point. You can make almost anything look good based on what you compare it to. You know what I'm saying? And you can make almost anything look bad compared, uh, based on what you compare it to. And what we have in our text today, please don't uh, leave this spot, Genesis chapter 4. What we have in our text today is the story of a comparison. It's the story of the first two brothers that were born into this planet that you and I live in. You and I still walk in the same context that these two boys walked in. Now, you know the story. God created everything, and he created it all good, and he was pleased with it, and he just spoke it into existence. You find this first few chapters of Genesis, and God was just creating, it was good, it was beautiful, and then, hey, one thing was not good, and that was that man would be alone, and so he created woman, and he said it's very good, and things were good. And God was with man. And God created man not to be religious, but he created man to walk through this life with him, to enjoy it. You know, the first commandment in the Bible is not, don't eat of that one tree. Did you know that? The first commandment that God gives is, enjoy everything. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. Typically, you think, oh, the first commandment is, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not the first commandment. 
We get that wrong when we kind of paint that on God that he's primarily about the don'ts. God is primarily about the do's. He said, I want you to enjoy everything. Go crazy. I created this all for you. Enjoy it. The second commandment is, there's this one tree. Would you just honor me and trust and not eat from that one tree? And you know the story. You know how it goes. Inevitably, they decided to eat from that tree, and, and sin entered the world, and everything that comes along with sin. You know, sin isn't the symptom. Everything that we experience is the symptom. Sin is something that lives deep in our nature. So, hey, this is a side note, but if you're, like, just trying to get over the symptoms of your sin, and you're just really trying to overcome this thing, but you've not received the cleansing of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you got it wrong. You can't, you can't cure the symptom without curing the problem inside. Sin is a problem inside the heart of a person. Everything else is just a symptom. Jealousy, bitterness, hate, anger, and murder. But this is what happens. You know the story. Adam and Eve, they sin, sinners enters the world, and surely they believe that God would punish them to the nth degree, and they would, they would no longer receive anything good from the Lord. And yet God showed them grace and mercy because above all, God wants us to succeed and to multiply and to keep going, and God didn't leave them. He removed them from the garden, but he didn't leave them. And so that's why Eve had a, a son and she named him Cain because she had received from God. God, you are good to me. Even though we sinned against you and we didn't deserve it, I've received from you. I wonder, what have you received from God in your life? The, the cards, as it were, that you've been dealt, this life that you've been given, it's from God. You've received it from God. The talents that you have or don't have, the weight that you have or don't have, the looks that you have or don't have, the situation in life, the family that you have or don't have, whatever it is that you have, this life has been given to you from God. That should do something inside of us. That should change the way that we view ourselves and the world. That should change the way that we judge other people and their shortcomings. The, the personality just kind of those, those little intricacies that your husband or wife has. Not all of them, but some of them are from God. <laughs> Maybe not all of them, right, babe? I got to work on some. But this is what happens. They said, we've received from God a son. He's blessed us. And they named him Cain. And then they received again another son, Abel. And this is what it says. You follow the story. Notice in this passage, it talks about these two brothers, the first two brothers to enter humanity. The first two brothers, it doesn't really draw comparisons between them. It doesn't say that, hey, one was a shepherd, and in comparison to being a farmer, that was so, so, or whatever. It just says this. There were two brothers. One's name was Cain. One's name was Abel. Cain happened to be a farmer. A farmer was a, a great thing. In the Bible, God is referred to as a farmer or a gardener, and good fruit is good. God talks about good fruit, and so this... This man just happened to be a, a farmer or a gardener. Good for him. Good for you, Cain. And then there was another brother. His name was Abel, and he just happened to be a shepherd. Shepherds are good people, you know, uh, in the Bible. Jesus is referred to as a good shepherd, and shepherd comes all over the Bible. David was a shepherd. Shepherds are great. They take after the animals. Good for him. It doesn't really say anything about the comparison between the two. It just says that Cain happened to be a gardener, and that was his role in life, and God gave him that task, and that's good. And Abel happened to be a shepherd, and good for him. And then it says this, it says in the course of time, at some, some apparent time, uh, 
Cain brought this offering to God. He brought some of the fruits, some of the, the vegetation of what he had gardened to God. And then it says, check this, likewise, Abel brought an offering, but he brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. Now, if you know anything about what the, uh, the Bible describes about bringing an offering to God, it says even later, now, you, you need to understand that what's going on right here is it, theologically and historically is before the Mosaic law and before God's commandment to bring an offering. What it is, is you find humanity, even at the earliest times, just desiring to come to God with an offering of affection. That's really the point. God never really cared about the fact that he would get, he would get a bull from us or a, or a sheep. He wants our affection. He wants our heart. That's how it's always been. He wants our best. And so notice in the text what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering and God was like, well, Cain, on any given day, these fruits would have been very pleasing to me, but today, in comparison to your brother's animal, I don't really like it. You notice that it doesn't say that. You notice that it makes a distinction but not a comparison in the text. There's just two brothers that are bringing something to God, and really they have nothing to do with each other. I mean, am I right? Cain's offering and what he brought to God and its validity and how it would please God has nothing really to do with how good of an offering that Abel brought to God. He just brought something, Abel brought something, and it does note that God was pleased with Abel's offering and yet not pleased with Cain's offering. Yet God never made a comparison between the two. He didn't say, well, it's not good because of this, or yours is good because in light of yours, you know, this looks bad. It just says that God looked after Cain's, uh, and he, he didn't really appreciate it, and it looked after Abel's, and he was, he was joyful about it. And so Cain got depressed. And then Cain and God have this sort of interaction. For Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you depressed? If you do well, won't you be accepted? But you need to beware, friend, because sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you, and you must overtake it. You see, I'm convinced that comparison in our culture is one of the... Uh, I, I use this term, it's like, it's like heart disease. It's not really one of the sexy sins that you hear preached about too often, you know what I'm saying? But cor correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Ryan, doesn't, doesn't it take, could take 20 years for symptoms of heart disease to start to manifest themselves? Yeah. To me, comparison is like one of those sins. It's kind of like the heart disease of our faith. It's like, it's like it gets inside of you and you might not know it. You might not really think about it because you don't hear it talked about too often. Or you might not think it's affecting you, but inside, comparison is doing something in you. And eventually, it's going to manifest something and it's going to kill you. Eventually, this disease of comparison leads to horrific symptoms that come out in very negative ways. Am I right? 
Comparison in our culture is rampant, even in the church. I, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm alone in this sense. I feel like no matter what your age is, it's very easy to fall into this temptation to compare yourself against somebody else. Why, why can't we just as humanity just operate like, I just want to do my best, and if I know that I've put my best foot forward and I've done my best, I will be pleased and I know my God will be pleased with me. We compare ourselves against one another, and it leads to so many unhealthy things. I'm going I'm to kind of walk through this passage and show you five things that comparison leads to. Number one, comparison leads us to focus on somebody else instead of God. I mean, think about this text, what happens. Two brothers come to God. They didn't come to hang out with each other, and God happened to be there. They brought an offering to God. Their eyes should be on God. You ever showed up to church and your eyes weren't on God? Man, what's that guy doing worshiping up front? He's dancing weird. What's that guy doing sitting in the back? He doesn't even look like he's into it. I mean, come on. We'd sit here and judge and compare each other. Well, well, if he's sitting down, he must not be into it. Well, if he's dancing, he just must be one of those weird spiritual persons. You know what I'm saying? Like, why do we compare? We came here to meet with God. (laughs) We came here to be with each other, but we came here to bring an offering to God. Am I right? Amen. We came here to meet with God. That's what our life should be about. Our life should be about bringing an offering, our best offering to God. And how good or bad your offering is has nothing to do with how good or bad the offering is that the person sitting next to you brings. Your offering is not better just because it might look better than the person that you are, is sitting next to you or walking through this life with you. God has called us to bring our best to him. And he knows how he created you. He knows the gifts and the abilities or the lack thereof that you have. Yet he says, bring your best to me. And so what happens is, Cain takes his eyes off of the God that hypothetically he was bringing an offering to, and he starts focusing on his brother. That's what comparison does. It takes our eyes off of God and puts them on another person. What comparison does, number two, it leads us to stop listening to the voice of God. It leads us to stop listening to the voice of God. This is what happened. God noticed that he was feeling this way, and he said, why are you so depressed? Look, I didn't make a comparison between the two of you. Your brother really has nothing to do with your and my relationship. Don't you know that if you bring your best to me, I will be pleased and it will be accepted? And then, again, he gives this warning. Hey, sin is waiting for you. And my desire is that you would overcome it. And yet, apparently, those words fell on deaf ears. Because that's what happens in us when we start comparing against other people. We start looking at other people. We take our eyes off God. We start comparing, and it leads us to just stop listening altogether. My daughter, all the time, (laughs) she's at this age where, like, if you don't answer her immediately, she's like, Dad, I asked you a question. (laughs) You know? And it's just like, I know, but you ask me a question, like, every five seconds. So I just, sometimes I'm, like, focusing on something else. I'm not looking at her, but when she's talking to me, she wants my eyes on her. You know what I'm saying? God wants our eyes on him. 
And he knows that when our eyes are on him, we'll be more clearly able to hear his voice. When we start to compare, we, we put our focus on somebody else and we stop listening to his voice. Number three, when we compare, it leads towards jealousy. And it leads towards bitterness. And it leads towards anger. It leads towards all these other things inside of us. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever fallen into it. This, this person at work is, is making more money than me. Why is this person at work making more money than me? I, whatever it is, again, you show up even in the spiritual sense, like uh, this person is getting more recognition for the gifts that they have. God, why haven't you, why haven't you given me these gifts? Or why, why haven't I excelled? Why don't people appreciate me the way that I see them appreciating them? And it just starts to work inside of us just like cholesterol. It just starts to build up and build up and build up until eventually it kills us. Number four, comparison leads inevitably to horrific action. Eventually even to lie, to the lying, lying to God or even to ourselves. Obviously you know the story. One brother rose up against the other brother out of comparison, out of bitterness, out of jealousy, out of anger. Anger even at that point towards his brother, probably even towards God, and he murdered his brother. Number five, comparison leads to death. It leads to death. I felt like God wanted me to come today with a very simple thought. That you can be able to. You can be able. You are able to be like Abel. You are able to be like the son that brought his best before God. You are able to just bring whatever it is that you have in your life, good or bad, and bring it to God. Your life and the validity of your life and how, what kind of value that you think that you have has nothing to do with how good or bad somebody else is around you. I wonder, when you think about your own life, how do you gauge your value? When you think about how, you know, how much joy you have or how fulfilled, let's just say that, how fulfilled you are in life, in your current role, whatever job you have or whatever family you have or whatever house you have or car you have or amount of money you have, how do you gauge how valuable you are in your fulfillment? Is it based on how much money you have? Is it based on your looks? Is it based on your skills in one area or another? Is it based on any of those things and how well or good you are in comparison to the people around you? I wonder. Does anybody know who Christopher Langan is? Jeremy knows. Anybody else? Austin knows. So I'd imagine since most of you don't know who he is, you don't struggle with comparison against this individual. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so uh, Christopher lives in Princeton. I looked up Princeton because I knew that there was a college in Princeton, New Jersey, and it's a very prestigious college, so I typed in Google, most prestigious universities, and what was number one on the list in Google was Princeton University. 
It's very prestigious. Some of the smartest people in the world go to Princeton. And the Christopher that I'm talking about doesn't live in Princeton, New Jersey. He lives in Princeton, Missouri, a little tiny town with a population of 1,166 people. But Christopher Langan is said to be the smartest person in America. He has an IQ of somewhere around 195 to 210. Now, I, I, I didn't know this going into this, but normal people have an IQ maybe around 100, average people around 100. Um, I think Einstein was somewhere around 150, 160. Benjamin Franklin was up there. There's, all, there, there's a handful of people that have these crazy IQs. And this guy, he's a farmer in Princeton, Missouri. He hangs out with animals all day. And he doesn't care. But when he gets in from his just normal work at, at night, he sits, sits in front of his computer, and I have to read this to you because I'm not even smart enough to know what it is. At night, he works on his computer, and he's developing the cog cognitive theoretic model of the universe. Just smart stuff. <laughs> I, tried, I tried reading like a little thing about it in the first paragraph at all these terms that I didn't even know. Couldn't even get to the main subject, you know. <laughs> but I had this thought. I don't find myself comparing myself against Christopher and, oh, woe is me, I'm not smart. Because <laughs> Christopher's in Princeton, Missouri, and he's so much smarter than me. The guy asked him, he said, do you think you're smarter than Einstein? And he said, well, hey, I have a lot of respect for Einstein. He was very smart. I don't think Einstein was smarter than me, but that's all I'll say. It's like, wow, that guy's... It, they, it, allegedly, he got a, a perfect score on his SAT, and he took a nap during it. Isn't that funny? <laughs> He's smart. But I don't find myself comparing against him because he's not in my context. And what I realize is that uh, proximity typically leads to how or who we compare against. He's not in my proximity, and so I don't really care. LeBron James is not even in my proximity, so I don't really compare. Like, am I good at basketball compared to LeBron? I, it doesn't really affect me. Like, I don't feel bad about myself in comparison to Le LeBron, but I compare myself against the guys I'm playing hoop fest against. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I think of my intellect, I don't compare against this Christopher guy who lives in Missouri. Often, I would compare against the people around me. How smart am I compared to the people around me? How good am I doing at my job compared to the other people on staff? And that's, that's horrible. That leads to death. You know, uh, one of my, there's a band, <laughs> there's a band that has a song that says, just because you're a big fish in a little pond doesn't mean that you've won. And so I, I, I had this thought, if what we compare against has to do with proximity, then why don't we draw closer to Jesus and start comparing ourselves against the only one we should compare ourselves against? I mean, once we get closer in proximity to Jesus, you can come up, Seth. Oh, you, sorry. Once you get closer in proximity to God, the only one you should be focused on anyway, your comparison will start to mean something. It will start to be beneficial in your life. I mean, comparison for the most part is extremely unhealthy, as I've shown. Is there, any, is there any health to comparison? Well, maybe there is. You know, I asked, uh, again, getting back to, to Joey's question, he said, there's this guy, he's my age, and he wins almost all the Spartan races. And so at five in the morning when I wake up, I think about him. And I think, he's working out right now, and so I'm going to get up out of bed and I'm going to work out right now. 
And you know, that can be very healthy. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's unhealthy because he's thinking about another person. It can be very unhealthy if he's just thinking, oh, what's the guy's name? Hunter. Hunter. Oh, Hunter. Get Hunter on. All I want to do is beat, I want to beat Hunter down. You know, eat my dust, Hunter. That's all I care about is beating Hunter. I want to beat Hunter. Just despise Hunter. I'm bitter at Hunter because he wins all the races. Why can't I? That's unhealthy. Probably shouldn't do that race if that's how you feel. But something healthy can come from comparison if he uses it, get this, if he uses it to become a better Joey. If you can think about another person and become a better you without putting them down, then hallelujah, praise God, use that kind of comparison. We see this even in the scriptures. Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. If that's what you need to do, if you have a hard time kind of following this, uh, this God that you can't see, then just follow me as I follow Jesus. But know this, I am not Jesus, and I'm just trying to follow him. And if you need to follow me, then follow me. Whatever, whatever you've seen in me that's good or pure or righteous, then, then do those things. But know that any of those things that are good, they're from God, not from me. But if it helps for you to look to me in order to be a better you, then go ahead and do that. But don't get in this routine, this trap of comparing against other people in a way that makes you judge them, become bitter at them, angry with yourself, angry with them, angry with God, and you sort of rot away in this life until you die. We should spur one another on towards love and good deeds, is what the Bible says. And so this is what I'm going to close with. In fact, will you just stand to your feet? I'm going to, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask you to just, you know, maybe even just close your eyes. And If you're like me and you've ever uh, thought about this subject before and, and wrestled with it, if you've ever done that, then you've realized, like me, that you know that it's wrong. And yet sometimes... You just fall into it. Sometimes it's so hard, especially in American culture, to just keep up with the Joneses. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's difficult to overcome this. And so I've got a few, a few steps to combat it. And this first one obviously is a choice, but this is the first step. Just stop it. Just stop it. Sometimes I just have to tell my kids, you know what, I could explain it to you, but just stop it. It's killing you. It is killing you on the inside. Number two, how to combat comparison. Push it out of your mind. Push it out of your mind. The Bible says this, we take every thought captive to Christ. So when, when you start to see, my hope and prayer is that when you leave this this week, you'll start to realize, man, I'm comparing right now, and it's leading to no fruit. And so when those thoughts come into your mind, you take them captive. You take them captive to God. You say, Jesus, just take this from me right now in Jesus' name. And if it's not enough just to stop thinking about something, have you ever tried to just stop thinking about something, and you're thinking about not thinking about something? You, you, you kind of end up just like thinking about it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the third thing is this, how to combat comparison. Fill your mind with God's word. You're going to take the thought captive. You're going to push it out of your mind. And then if you're like me, you need to fill it with something or it's just going to start thinking about it again. I kid you not. I preached this message on a Thursday. And it wasn't three or four days later that I woke up at, at two in the morning 
And I was awake from 2 until 4 a.m. wrestling with myself and with God, comparing myself against somebody. I kid you not. And I'm like, I know that this is, I just preached about this. And you know what I thought to myself? What did that preacher say on how to combat this thing? I, I swear, I said, what did I tell them? What did I tell them to do? And just, so I just started thinking like, God, just remind me of the identity that you put in me. I just started saying every verse I could think of. It's why knowing God's word is so important. If you don't know God's word, you won't know anything to fill up your mind with. We have to get it in our spirit. God's word. God's identity for who you are. Men, you are not who the world says you are. You are not who you think that you are. You are not who you think you're not. You are who God said you are. Women, you are not what the magazine tells you you are or are not. You are a beautiful woman of God, and you are who God made you to be. Get in your heart God's word and God's identity for you. I think I have one more. Oh, I, yeah, I got two more. I'm going to close. Pray for the other person. Pray for them. I've got people in my life that I, I, I've noticed that I compare against. And by God's grace, as many times as I can remember it, I just, God bless them even more. Gift them even more. Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for how you've anointed them. Thank you that you are using them and my jealousy of them is ridiculous. Thank you, God, for how gifted you have made them to be. I'm happy for them. Bless them even more. Pray for them. That will help. And the last thing is this. Determine in your heart just to bring your best to God. Determine in your heart to bring your best to God. Because if we get in this pattern of, well, I'm, I'm bringing this to God and I feel good about it because in comparison to X, Y, or Z, it looks pretty good. Well, that, that doesn't mean that your offering is really that good necessarily. Your offering is only good if it's your best. It has nothing to do with anybody else around you. So I'm going to close. If the prayer team could come forward, I just want to, would you guys all just bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to give a few, uh, just real quick, just for two minutes, and I'll have you out of here. I want to ask a, a first question. If you're in this room and you would just simply say this, I have not offered to God my best. That is to say, I have not offered to God my life, my heart, now, don't get me wrong. I need to make this clarification. It does not mean that if you have junk and sin and brokenness in you, that you can't come to God with that. In fact, quite the opposite. When you come to God with everything that you are and stop trying to fix your mess, when you bring it all to him, that is coming to God with your best offering.